0: THE JERUSALEM CHANNEL IS MADE POSSIBLE BY VIEWER SUPPORT. THANKS FOR WATCHING. THIS WEEK WE'VE BEEN VISITING EGYPT TO BUILD IN PRAYER WHAT THE BIBLE DESCRIBES AS THE HIGHWAY OF PEACE AND HOLINESS. This is mentioned in the prophecies of Isaiah. Behind me is the Nile River, where the baby Moses was hidden in a tiny ark basket. Egypt is a land of biblical signs and wonders. And we're looking by faith to the coming revival that will be inaugurated by the return of King Messiah, a revival prophesied in Isaiah chapter 19. This amazing chapter of the Bible says that the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and Egypt will acknowledge the Lord. And in that day, a highway will extend from Egypt through Israel up to the ancient region of Assyria. And those three nations, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel, will be joined in a messianic alliance and will be a blessing in the earth. Isaiah 19 says, The Lord of hosts will bless these three nations, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. You and I have our parts to play as intercessors. Welcome to the always busy, noisy, and crowded, and yet endlessly fascinating city of Cairo. I'm Christine Darg. These are such exciting days of preparing for revival in the Bible lands. In Isaiah 19, this amazing chapter declares that the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and on that day, Egypt will acknowledge the Lord. They will turn to the Lord, and he will hear their prayers and heal them Verse 23 declares that there will be a highway from Egypt through Israel all the way up to Assyria. And in that day, Israel will be part of an alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the earth. The benediction in verse 25 says, The Lord of hosts will bless these three nations with, Blessed be Egypt my people, Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance and you and I are the intercessors, the watchmen on the walls. I'm continually thrilled by the prophetic nature of these verses and the surety of the promises made boldly here in the Bible. Verse 18 of Isaiah 19 foretells that in the millennium, the language of Canaan, Hebrew, will be spoken in five Egyptian cities, including the city of Heliopolis which translates the city of the sun. Well, as we prepared to meet with Egyptian believers in Heliopolis, on that night we heard in the news that there would be a rare blood moon lunar eclipse. Blood moons are among the many signs that herald the return of the Lord Jesus. After all, Jesus himself prophesied that signs in the heavens and on earth will precede his return to rule this world. Also, in both Joel 2.31 in the Hebrew Scriptures and Acts 2.20 in the New Testament, these verses prophesy that the sun will turn dark and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That speaks of nighttime, and nighttime is a picture of the present state of this world. But true believers don't dwell in darkness. We live in the Lord's light. We're sons and daughters of the light. You see, in the Gospels, the disciples James and John were called sons of thunder because they were hot-tempered by nature. Jesus gave them that nickname, sons of thunder. But on the other hand, in Acts 4.36, there was a disciple named Joseph who was given the affectionate nickname Barnabas meaning son of consolation or son of encouragement because he was an encourager. The Bible says we believers are sons and daughters of light. But the world is sinking further into moral darkness because, as John three nineteen declares, the light has come into the world. And that light, of course, is Jesus. But people loved darkness more than light. Why? because, it says, their works were evil. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 explains spiritual blindness and spiritual warfare like this. That verse says Satan, the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so that they are incapable of seeing the glorious light of the gospel. Yet, Jesus declared in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me, Jesus said, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a wonderful promise for the Egyptian believers. When we belong to the Lord, we're promised daily light and guidance. We won't be stumbling around in the dark. And so I reminded the Egyptian church, and I want to strengthen all persecuted believers everywhere, that Romans 13.12 declares the night is nearly over. It says the day is almost here, the day of the Lord. So let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light of Jesus the Messiah. He's coming soon and very soon. Well, in the city of the sun, Heliopolis, it was my privilege and honor to proclaim a verse that seemed so appropriate to the location and occasion. Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, God says, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. Some translations render the verse, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his rays, the rays of power that radiate from the risen Lord are powerful to heal and strengthen us. And the word wings in this verse is from the Hebrew word kanaf, meaning an edge or extremity, such as the wing of a bird or the edge of a garment. The idea is overspreading, covering, just as Boaz in the book of Ruth spread his cloak over Ruth and covered her. So it could be said that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his rays or in his covering. My husband and I prayed for a widow and her three children in Heliopolis to be covered by the protection of the Lord. Truly the power of God arises with healing over those who fear, who have a holy reverential fear of his name. We saw the healing power of the Lord radiating into the Egyptians for whom we pray. And the contemporary English version of the Bible renders Malachi 4.2, But for you that honor my name, victory will shine like the sun with healing in its rays. Well, the early church fathers considered Jesus to be the son of righteousness. And in the city of the sun, Heliopolis, we saw the son of righteousness arising with healing and renewal. Well, in Isaiah 19, God promises to heal Egypt. And just as sunlight brings health and vitamin D, to a diseased and dying world. So Messiah brings health to our diseased, dying souls and bodies. His coming, His rising is our blessed hope. Titus 2.13 promises that we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. So now, Isaiah 19 opens very boldly with this prophecy. The burden concerning Egypt Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. First of all, I want to comment here that glory clouds are rare in Egypt because it's a land that doesn't receive a lot of rain, but this image of the Lord riding on a swift cloud certainly brings to my mind... Also, Revelation 1 7, which declares, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Isaiah 19 begins by proclaiming the burden of the Lord concerning Egypt. And so, we first of all have to ask, What is burden? Some Bibles translate burden as an oracle or an utterance of God concerning Egypt. But I believe the King James rendering with burden is the best translation of the Hebrew intent. The word burden implies something very heavy, and the Lord's burden for Egypt is heavy. Intercessory prayer is all about burden. It's all about carrying the burden of the Lord in prayer, sometimes in groanings and even in travail from time to time. You see, intercession is different from regular petitioning prayer. Intercession never stops until the matter is finished and fulfilled. And the Lord has a burden for Egypt to return to him. This chapter begins with a bold introduction. The God of Israel is seen advancing into Egypt. And the word for Egypt here in the Hebrew is a plural word, mitzrayim, encompassing all the territory, upper and lower Egypt, implying a rapid divine visitation over the entire land. The chapter contains many judgmental threats from the Lord, but it also contains glorious promises of healing and redemption. Why? Because the nation of Egypt is interwoven with the history of redemption. It was here that the great truths of the Passover were revealed, that redemption was accomplished by the blood of the Passover lamb, a type of the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Because the blood of a lamb was brushed with hyssop on the top and the two side posts of the doors of the Israelite houses in Egypt, which was a picture of the cross. And God said in Exodus twelve thirteen, When I see the blood, I will pass over you no plague will fall on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Everybody inside the houses were saved. It was a lamb for a house, a picture of household salvation. And in Acts 16 in the New Testament, the apostle Paul was asked by the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and everybody in your household. Did you realize that along with prayers for healing, the number one prayer request that we receive is to pray for the salvation of family members. And I want you to know that when you're saved by the blood of God's sacrificial lamb, Jesus, your faith sanctifies all of your family until they receive revelation to call upon the name of the Lord. I'll never forget a dream I had of an old Arab Hajj from Bethlehem whom I'd led to the Lord and in the dream he was in heaven wearing a white robe and keffiyeh headdress and he was drinking Arabic coffee at a table by himself. And yes, in eternity the nations will retain many of their colorful characteristics. I love the nations, and God loves the nations, and thank God we're not all going to be the same, even in eternity. In fact, Revelation 21:26, one of my favorite verses, says that all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's above. By the way, just as Egypt, Mitzrayim, is a plural word in the Hebrew Bible, Jerusalem in Hebrew is also a plural word, Yerushalayim, because there's the Jerusalem that's below and the Jerusalem that's above, the New Jerusalem. But getting back to my dream, the old sheikh said to me in heaven, because he'd gone on to be with the Lord, Christine, go and get more of my people so that they can join me here. He was happy to be in heaven, but he wanted more of his people there. You see, sometimes a faithful person does go alone from his family to heaven through the merits of the Savior. God chooses one from a family, one from a village, and so on. God's election separates believers from ungodly families. We must all stand alone as individuals before God because salvation is individual and non-transferable. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith in the Messiah. But more often than not, hallelujah, a person who's saved does lead his or his family to the Lord, just as the God of Abraham became the God of Sarah, and then the God of Isaac, and then the God of Jacob, and by the testimony and faithfulness of one believer and a household, the rest of the family is drawn to the Lord. Now, God says in Isaiah 19, he's coming on a divine visitation into Egypt both to judge, but also to save and to heal Egypt. The imagery is used of God in Psalm 104, verse 3, where it says, He makes the clouds His chariots and rides upon the wings of the wind. All of this imagery is mysterious, so we have to keep our eyes on the horizon and upon the heights of heaven, looking and watching, not only for the coming of the Lord, but also for the promised revival in this region. Blessed is the one who watches and waits to receive the Lord and who prepares for his coming. I'm also fascinated by this phrase of Isaiah 19 verse 1 that says the heart of Egypt will melt with a holy reverential fear of the Lord. They're going to melt like wax before fire. It's going to be a supernatural revival. It's going to be the Lord's doing. Egypt will feel and see the Mighty One, the One who split the Red Sea and who sent all the plagues. But He will do new marvels in this land. Years ago, in prophetic preparation, we held one of our Passover conferences in Cairo. And the man of God, a Jewish believer, who led our prophetic Passover Seder meal, was led by the Holy Spirit to do a prophetic act to decree a reversal of all the curses, all the plagues that happened to Egypt. I believe the heavens are opening in anticipation of the revival to come. Well, I was blessed by a banner in one of our gatherings on this visit. The banner depicted King Jesus riding into Egypt on a glory cloud. The Arabic letters in red say, King of Kings. And there's a quote from Exodus 34.10 where God says, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you shall see the work of the Lord, for it's an awesome thing that I will do. A promise spoken to Moses in Sinai, but one to be believed also for these days of Isaiah 19, because our God is the same. He never changes. He's an awesome, miracle-working God. The God of the burning bush says in Isaiah 19, verse 21, that he will make himself known to Egypt. Well, how is this revival going to happen? It'll happen by the faithful preaching of God's Word, even over the airwaves. There are many evangelists preaching in Arabic that God has raised up. But it will also happen by divine revelation. For decades, the Lord has been appearing in dreams and visions to the Arabs, and I have documented this in a book. Without revelation, we can't see or receive the Lord, but the revival will also be facilitated through intercessory prayers. I want to take you to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Revelation 5.8 speaks of Golden bowls and incense in heaven, and the incense are the prayers of the saints, the believers. And Revelation 8.3 speaks of a golden censer filled with their prayers on the golden altar in front of God's throne. Then in verse 5 of Revelation 8, an angel takes the censer filled with their prayers and adds fire from the altar, and then casts the prayers to earth. And there were voices, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. The voices speak of the spirit of revelation. And the thunders, lightnings, and earthquake represent earth-shaking events that the Lord will bring upon this nation and all the nations as he shakes his hand over Egypt and revives this ancient land. That's why I ask you never to consider a prayer meeting as something insignificant or optional. When you study these verses that I've just mentioned, you can begin to appreciate the power of prayer, both individual prayers and corporate prayers. During this week, my husband and I were so privileged to proclaim Psalm 24. It was one of our readings while visiting Egypt. And now I want to proclaim it again prophetically so that you can join with me. We prophesy to Egypt, this ancient land. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors of Egypt, that the king of glory may enter. And the psalm asks, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Again, the psalm says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may enter. Who is he, this king of glory? the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, even King Messiah. Amen. The Lord is moving mightily in this land in various ways. I enjoyed so much a fellowship meal in Cairo where we met an Egyptian brother named John, who happened on that evening to be spending his 40th day of freedom and deliverance from a Chinese prison. John previously was a cultural Christian, but he returned to the Lord and experience a personal revival in that cold Chinese jail. God loved him and rescued him from darkness while others were dying all around him. John had chased after wealth. He traveled from Egypt to China for eight years and made big business contracts there. But even though he had wealth and health, he said he always felt empty. But one day in 2015, he cried to the Lord to help him and When he traveled to China, police officers arrested him in Beijing Airport. They accused him of harming the Chinese economy, and a court sentenced him to three years and six months imprisonment, and the government confiscated all of his wealth. He said he lost millions of dollars, but gained the riches of Messiah while in prison. He came home to Egypt with the Lord himself. God performed many miracles for John inside that prison. He became fluent in Chinese and brought many Chinese prisoners to the Lord and baptized them. He shared with us how God did supernatural things with him in the midst of horrible circumstances and very hard situations in a country that denies human rights. Jesus changed his heart and gave him a childlike heart full of God's love. But of all the testimonies that John shared with me, I was most touched with his experience reading the Bible in prison. By the spirit of Revelation, he entered into the narratives by vision from Genesis to Revelation as he read through the Bible. For example, when he reached the portion concerning the building of the Tabernacle of Moses, John said that he resided in the tabernacle by vision for several months, even though physically he was incarcerated in China. But that is the supernatural life of the believer. And while he was shivering with cold and no blanket, the Son of Righteousness enveloped him. I believe every Western believer would benefit from knowing the history of the Egyptian Coptic Church. Coptic means Egyptian. The Copts are native Egyptians who claim descent from the ancient Egyptians. Mark the Evangelist brought the gospel to Egypt, and desert monasticism became a characteristic of Egyptian devotion amidst much persecution. The devotion of the Egyptian believers is a testimony that's become better known in Recent years, because of the persecutions, beheadings, and bombing of churches widely reported in the news. Many of the Christian monasteries and communities are oases of light in the Middle East. We enjoyed visiting some monasteries outside of Cairo, one named after the Egyptian Saint Bishoy. Saint Bishoy ministered hospitality to a stranger, washing his dusty feet. But he noticed wounds in the stranger's feet. He realized that he was privileged to receive an open vision of the Lord. St. Beshoy is the only man believed to have washed the feet of Jesus, of course, in a post-resurrection vision in the third century. But the Gospel records that Mary of Bethany washed the Lord's feet with her tears. Well, the body of St. Besoy is sincerely believed by Coptic Christians to be incorrupt, a supernatural miracle of preservation. The Coptic believers say the incorrupt body of a saint is a sign and a wonder to the faithful. To them it's a sign that God will preserve his people. One of the desert monks at the monastery explained to us the history of the Egyptian desert fathers going all the way back to the beginnings of Christianity brought to Egypt by Saint Mark the evangelist, Orthodox Christianity has retained a lot of elements of Jewish temple worship. For example, these ancient doors were modeled or inspired by the Holy of Holies separation in Jewish temple worship and carried over into Orthodox Christianity. Like the Jewish people in the days of temple worship, the Coptic Church uses holy anointing oil. Chrism, meaning anointment, is consecrated oil administered at baptism and the anointing of the sick, as well as other rites of the Orthodox Church, such as consecration of churches. Chrism is sometimes referred to as myrrh, holy oil, or consecrated oil. The use of oil in Christian ceremonies is mentioned in many early Christian documents, including writings by North African saints such as Tertullian. Cyril of Jerusalem detailed the practices of using oil or ointment symbolically applied to the forehead as a sign of a Christian because the word Christian derives from Christ and of course from the Hebrew Mashiach meaning anointed one. Chrism oil is prepared as a mixture of olive oil and aromatic essences following the pattern of the preparation of anointing oil that's described in Exodus chapter 30. After its preparation, the oil is distributed to bishops, who in turn pass it on to the parishes. Anointing people with oil was one of the practices of the Lord's disciples, and it's still a point of contact today when we administer healing. Well, in closing today, I want to reiterate my message given in Heliopolis, the city of the sun. We believers are children of the daylight. We're not walking in darkness, but we walk in the light of the risen Lord. May the sun of righteousness arise upon you with healing in his wings, healing in his rays. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stay in contact on the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine, Exploits. A reminder also that our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store. And so until next time, seriously contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem and the fulfillment of the Isaiah 19 highway, I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom. Thanks for being part of the Jerusalem channel. We want to be a link and lifeline between you and the land of Israel, focusing on prophetic and biblical insights of what's happening today. It's through the support of our viewers that we can continue to bless Israel through our media programs. Please consider making a monthly or one time donation to keep Jerusalem channel A voice of truth in the web wilderness. You can make a debit or credit card gift through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. In the U.S., we're a tax-deductible ministry. And in the U.K., we are a registered charity. Help us to be a voice for Israel to a global audience.